Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, good morning, City on a Hill. How's everybody doing today? All right. <laughs> That's a scary answer. Uh, so before we even start, let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we just lift you up right now, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you are wild. You're not tame. There's nothing routine about you, Father. We thank you for that word for our brother in the audience, Father. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you are trying to speak to each and every one of us. And we speak completion of that today, Lord. We ask, Lord Jesus, that we would hear from you, Lord, individually and corporately. And we're so grateful, Lord. We're so grateful for the time. We're so grateful for the love. We're so grateful, Lord Jesus, that you see us. In your name we pray. We just give this time. We give our faculties to you, Lord. And we ask for the freedom, Lord, to hear you and for the speaker to share your word. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So as customary, um, especially for me, I have to start off this service with some questions. So I need some participation, okay? So I'd like to ask you a question. Why do you go to the store? Let's say Stop and Shop. Why would you go to Stop and Shop? Answers. Food. Anybody else with a different reason to go to Stop and Shop? Okay. <laughs> Gas points. That is a beautiful one. Why would you go to the mall? Young people, give me a reason why you would go to the mall. Anybody? Clothes. What else? Food. What else? All right, we got a lot of reasons. That's beautiful. All right. The park. Why would you go to a park? Anybody? Scenery. What else? You got to be louder, guys. Have fun, play, exercise, very good. School, why would you go to school? Learn, why, would, why do you need to learn? To get a good job, educate yourself, expand your horizons. Okay, why do you go to church? <laughs> there was a pause there. <laughs> I, I'm not going to tell the pastors, but oh, I guess I just did. <laughs> to worship. What are your, your expectations for today? You're here. You said you came here to worship. What are your expectations? Anybody? Anybody with an expectation? To meet God in a bigger way. Anybody else? Blessings. Anybody else? Fellowship. Excellent. And if we keep going, the list will go on and on. Now, all of those things are subject to who? Jesus and us. It's a cooperative, right? All right. We're, we're, we're in the right spot. I want to add another answer to why we are here. So I don't want you to get comfortable. I do want to preface what I'm going to say with, does everybody have a Bible? If you do not have a Bible, the ushers are going to raise their hand. The ushers will come around and give you a Bible. We're going to do a little interaction here today. And I want you to already look around. I'm going to ask you guys to hop into groups real quick. There's going to be some uh, class participation, quote unquote, today. So you will need to be around a few people that you can now, you know, parlay with. All right? So make sure you got a Bible handy or somebody next to you with the Bible. I'm going to give it away with the two verses are. So there's not going to be any racing to the page. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 2 through 4. And I'll, I'll wait. Till we have another Bible request over here. We're looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 2 through 4. Paul is also going to project this. For us, so the first one's up there. Go ahead, raise your hands. 
It's important that not only that you get to see it, but there's an experience when you read the word. You know, we look up and like, oh, that looks, looks really great. And I, I like the font. But it's better when we actually do it ourselves. So you guys are going to be doing it amongst yourselves. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 2 through 4. And the other verse we're going to be looking at today is Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. I'm going to say it again, so don't get too frantic. But I'm just giving that to you so, we, so that you know where we're going. Okay. What if I told you that there was a road that we're supposed to go down? What if I told you that there was a path, a winding one? How would you respond to that? Most of you, being in church, you'd say, yeah, that sounds good. What if I invited you on an adventure? If I said to you, listen, I have, I don't know, this place that I'm going. And it's a little bit scary. I'm not exactly sure of all the different things that are going to go on. You're going to need shoes, maybe a warm jacket. We're going to leave in like five hours. Who's coming with me? Ooh, I got some hands. Woohoo! I like it. We got a little adventure streak in there. Wouldn't you have some questions, though, for me? Where are we going? Why are we going there? What exactly is it that you're after that you're going on this adventure down some road or path? What road are you asking me to go down? Because there's that one street that we know I'm not touching, right? Are those legitimate questions to ask? Yes or no? All right. Class participation, very big. When I think of things like um, adventure, I think of my childhood, so I think of things like Indiana Jones. If you say Indiana Jones to me, I'm already thinking adventure. Some of my other things are Sinbad. My father loved Sinbad. And as a child, he would mercilessly put it on all the time and make us watch it with him. Yeah, yeah. But oddly enough, now I kind of like Sinbad. But I'm not going to make my kids watch unless they want to. For me, another great one is Cowboy Bebop. Most of you don't know what that is, but it's one of mine. Everest. You just say the word Everest. You don't have to tell me it's a climb. You don't have to tell me about anything. You say Everest, I'm thinking adventure. It's not someplace that you go. It's someplace that you have to experience. To go to the peak of Everest, you're spending six months to a year of your life just to have the opportunity to go up, to spend months and months at base camp. That's already an adventure. Jacques Cousteau. I know very, very little about Jacques Cousteau personally, but I know what he's about. I know about his aquatic adventures, and just his name alone makes me think of adventure. Space, pirates or pirates of the Caribbean, these are all adventures. Now, all of these places, all these people, all these things have something at the end that these people went after, whether it be treasure, whether it be truth, whether it be discovery to find something new. There was a search there was a quest, there was a journey, there was all part of this experience. Now today, I'm going to be playing the role of Gandalf from The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And you, my wonderful congregation, are the hobbits. How many of you know what a hobbit is? Be honest, Pastor James is not here. Okay, how many of you do not know what a hobbit is? That's great, that's great. Pastor James, if you are listening to this, I am not going to tell you the names of the people that do not know what a hobbit is. But for the congregation, a hobbit uh, uh, exists in the fiction of uh, a writer named J.R. Tolkien. And basically, the hobbits were diminutive people, tiny, 
they lived, halflings, if you will, they lived in a community called the Shire. And the Shire, if you looked at the Shire, it would look like, if you're looking at an aerial, it would look like a bunch of bumps on a big green pasture with ornate trees. And in the, those bumps, you'd see a door. And on the back side of the bump, you might see a window. And everything inside was very cra- well-craftsman-made. Craftsman, everything was arti- articulately sculpted. Everything was very fine, homespun, warm, cozy. The hobbits were people that would discuss, um, like a farmer, what the crop was. A hobbit would be someone that would be jolly at the fact that there's a fair or a carnival coming up. They would um, be all up in each other's business. They, 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 would, they would be into the gossip of the area. A hobbit would um, dress up for, you know, I don't know, a barn raising or, 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 or a midsummer festival where they'd see some fireworks. Very, very jovial people. Not a lot of strife in their life. They were comfortable, cozy, insulated, most hobbits didn't venture out beyond the Shire, and that's important. So this character named Gandalf comes over to one of, this, one of these hobbits. His name is Bilbo. Gandalf is this very tall, lanky wizard and says to uh, Bilbo, I'd like to invite you on an adventure, which, to which Bilbo, Bilbo says, adventures? Ha! Make you late for supper. I don't want to go on an adventure. I'm very cozy where I am. I'm very insulated. I'm, I'm very comfortable. That's that just... Too much uh, fuss, adventure. And I think that the, what I'd like to do today is liken our lives to the Hobbit. And some of you are saying, all right, I think I know where this is going. I'm betting that you don't. And here's my point. Like Bilbo, the Hobbit, we are also very quite comfortable and quite insulated. We live very comfortable lives, as Ted has already talked about. And I love little bits and pieces. Whenever I get the opportunity to share, without talking or discussing things, I see areas where whoever's opening, whoever's doing the tithes and offerings, whoever pops up to speak, they're all saying things along the lines of what I was going to bring, and it just gives me confirmation with the direction that I've been given. So that's warming, and it's encouraging, because the Lord, even as I'm speaking, is speaking to me, and I hope you all see that this is not a, an arrival, but this is an adventure. Being up here, for me personally, is an adventure. And what I'm sharing about today is also going to be very deeply personal. But my point here is that we live very insulated and comfortable lives. Now, in the time of The Hobbit, and again, I'm going to use it just for a little bit more, but um, around The Hobbit is darkness. There's, there's wars, there's fighting, there's um, strife. There are other people out there uh, from the land of Mordor, if you will. And James, forgive me, I'm not giving it all the detail that you would. But there are evil powers at work, a darkness that is spreading over the land. And Gandalf comes up to Frodo and uh, Bilbo and says, I need you. To which Bilbo's replies, I don't, I'm very comfortable, I'm good. It doesn't change the fact that for the little hobbit, something is stirred inside of him. And that's why you're here, by the way, because something is stirred inside of all of you. There is an understanding, as comfortable as we might get, and I'm going to go off my little note cards and try something different, as comfortable as we might get, it's still not enough. It's still not enough. We have people that are very affluent here sitting in the chairs. They're here. We have people who have just recently achieved the highest level of education. They're here. We have people that have huge families. They are here. We have people that have no families. They're here. We have people from every walk of life here sitting next to, each, next to us, 
Why? Because well, everything that is outside of these doors, and eliminate the doors, everything that is outside of these chairs, eliminate the chairs, everything that is outside of us, it's not enough. And the truth is that we were made for something far greater, something far more exciting. And we're always coming in. We come back to tap into that. And that is the theme. I've just given, you away, give away, given away the whole thing. Now, we know, and in the time of the Hobbit, there was a darkness spreading. But in our land, where we live, there's a darkness spreading. See, the difference between the, hob- the, the, the likening part, where the Hobbit and us kind of meet, is if we don't venture out of our worlds, we probably won't even see it. There's poverty in our area, but we don't see it. It's not like we walk out our door and there it is. We have the ability to turn our eye, turn our head, change the channel, listen to somebody else, drive down a different road. It's not something that is so pervasive. Now, if we were in the Philippines, where, where would you turn? Where would you look? There's no TV, there's no electricity, no iPod or internet right now. There's no beautiful house to look at. It's just devastation. That is their land. That is their world. And for the most part, that is the state of the whole world. We are the light. We are essentially kind of like the shire. And what we have is supposed to be poured out into that darkness. And we know that the light trumps the darkness. I'm not going to get into all of that. But like Bilbo, we've made life a routine. It's safe. And it has depressed us into very, very neat living. Anybody identify with that? If you identify with that, just raise your hand. Good. I'm going in the right direction. Thank you. Now, is it because we're bad? Is it because we're evil? No, 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 no. It's just because of this is our battleground. This is where we are. And I'd like to offer up a little thesis statement today about it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to one of the things that I'm very, very good at. Um, as children, we establish a worldview, right? You grow up with your parents, one parent, two parents, no parents. But you get a worldview as a kid. You're taught what's right and wrong. Some people are taught more. Some people are taught, or taught less. But basically, our childhood is kind of where we establish our worldview. How to navigate the world, avoid as much pain as possible. Anybody disagree with that? For the most part. I'm paraphrasing. So we have good things that go on that we get rewarded for. We have bad things that go on that we say, I'm never going to do that again. And today I'd like to talk a little bit about the bad. We've done this and talked about this before. I'm going to bring this back because it's one of my favorite things to do when we talk about because it's very visual, very real. So as a kid, you're growing up innocent, all clad in white, right? Your parents are flawed individuals. We're all flawed. None of us are going to hit the mark standing next to Jesus. That's why we come to church, to cultivate his life in us. But as a kid, you might take a wound, or or what I like to call an arrow. Now, there's a big difference, and I'm talking hunting now. If I was hunting someone, because we know, as we are all sitting here, that there is an enemy. If I was hunting an animal, let's say, and I used a a gun, or a, a rifle, or a shotgun, and I hit that animal, the animal would die because of blood loss, but also because of blunt force trauma. I'm literally shredding and tearing apart his vascular system. 
That's one way of doing it. And for many of us here in the room, if I said to you about times of trauma in your life, you'd be able to pick it up pretty quickly because that pain, the abrupt shock of it all, was very, very clear, real, and visceral. Am I talking to anybody? By what I just said, did you think of something in your own life that you felt that way? Yes or no? All right, amen. I I got a yes. Now, with an arrow, an arrow is something very, very different. And quite frankly, this is insidious because it looks like a stick with a blade, and that's exactly what it is. The difference between an arrow, though, and a bullet is an arrow is designed very differently. An arrow is designed, and you'll see at the tip here, I call, they're called broadheads. I call them warheads because there's nothing nice about these things. They are designed to cut. They're razor blades. They're designed to, when they touch you, go right through you. They pierce anything that they touch and pass right through. There are many, many stories about animals being hit with arrows in the right spots. And they go on, they're sitting there eating, and they just keep eating. They don't even know they've been touched. They don't know something about three feet long has just passed through their bodies. And what happens? Well, the arrow has done its job. It's cut a hole into that animal. And now it just has to wait for it to bleed out and collect the carcass. And a lot of us walk around with these things on us, and we say to ourselves, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why the same patterns are still repeating in my life because there's areas in my life that I haven't dealt with. Now, this is a huge part, huge sermon that I could go on, but I want to just keep it Reader's Digest right now. Married couple. Anybody here with with their spouse? Married couple? Spouse with kids? Spouse with older kids? John and Laura, you guys are perfect. Come on up here. John, I'm going to start with you first. All right. You guys should know better than raise your hand when I'm up here. <laughs> John, come on up. No, no, you, you're perfect. <laughs> Laura, you can have a seat for a quick sec. You're going to put this on. Oh, good. Yeah, just put that over your head. I was hoping you were going to ask me. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. I thought I was going to have to wear that. <laughs> So I'm putting a T-shirt on, John, and John, I'm just going to have you stand just like that so everybody can see. There we go. Something like that. Something like that. So I'm going to take one of these arrows, and let's say, you know, John Childhood. John has very good parents, by the way. He takes a wound. He takes an arrow, right? It's right there in the back of him. No, no, no. no. You're fine. You're fine. (laughs) Should be part of the drama group, I tell you. (laughs) I'm just going to stick some arrows into John's back here. See, and this is how we actually, a lot of us go through life. We go through life with these gashes in us. We're walking around, not thinking anything. We don't know that they're there, right? Until, you know, John and I are talking, we're hanging out or whatever, you know, and I say something to John, maybe just to, you know, say, hey, you know, great job, or I really like the way... (laughs) Great job, you know, I really like the way that you talked about that the other day. And because of the way that I say it, I maybe might hit one of his arrows. Now, John is irritated and upset. He doesn't know why take offense to what I said. Now, was my intention to harm John or anything like that? No, I just kind of triggered one of these arrows, right? All right. Laura, you're up. So now, Laura, this is John's wife, and I'm just going to put that right over here. I'm going to mess up your hair. There you go. And just throw your hands in there. There you go. Uh-huh. Laura, I'm just going to ask you to stick that right there. 
go. And one like that. There you go. All right, come on up, Laura. Stand up right there. So let's say, yeah, exactly. It's a wide turning radius here, right? So a lot of times we go through life, we've got these things from our past, right? Now, as an arrow, we know they're going to go right through us. Right? But then at the other, on the other side of it, we also have the baggage from the things that we're dealing with. There might be unresolved things that are going on. And for many of us, and we all do it, the person here speaking with the microphone on is included, sometimes our past is in the front of us. Right? And then we try to relate. So try to hug. Yeah, it's a very awkward, precarious thing. You see, John has to be careful of her wounds now. Laura has to be careful of his wounds. And now we have a fight that can ensue, all because of old wounds. Nobody did anything wrong. Nobody did anything wrong. Everybody's just trying to love each other in the best way possible, and yet, boom. You're, you're, and you don't, you're just responding, right? And a lot of times, these things hold us back. Laura, you can grab a seat. Thank you very, very much. John, you're still on the hot seat. So just stand right here. So we've got this baggage. We have these arrows, right? Okay? So now, John, let me ask you a question. Do you have kids? Yes. Uh, can you hold this? Thanks. Just hold that in your hand. How many kids you got? Three. Ooh. Let me give you three of those. You got three kids there. There you go. Just hold that in your right hand for me, will you? Yep. Great. Uh, can I get, um, or put it in your left hand. Can I get uh, somebody? Two people, please? Anybody? Come on up. Girls, get up here. Gabby, Jesse, come on up here. We made eye contact. It's the cardinal rule. Do not make eye contact with the speaker. If that happens, especially if it's this guy, you're in. Girls, just hold these like this for me. Each one of you hold one. Yeah, and you can spread this one out. I want you to hold one higher than the other. Use some there. There you go. Hold that one up even higher. Great. All right. Great, great, great. So, um, John, do you have a job? Yes. Yeah, can you hold that? Thanks. Uh, boys, you're up. There's one. John, do you have people in your job that are friends or? Yeah? Okay. Hold that one. John, do you have family? Yeah. Okay. Hold that. Big Italian. Oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. <laughs> I anticipated that. Got some more here. Hold that. Yeah, hold this one. There we go. Do you hold that one, right? And you have your wife's family? Your wife has family? Great. Hold that too. Great. So can you hold this one? Thank you. Great. Now, guys, spread them out. Spread them out. And I want you to just kind of stretch them out. Go, go this way. There you go. There you go. Hold on to those tight. Girls, move back. There you go. Perfect. Now, what we're noticing here about John. And I think this, and this is kind of the image of my sermon today, is we have a man here, he's got a number of things, family, children, jobs, work, other family, job relationships that he's juggling, right? He's got baggage from his past in his, on both sides, and then here he is in church, right? And we're saying, hey, come on out, take a step forward, step out in faith. And John is saying, well, I'd love to. Can you take a step forward, John? It's a little bit difficult. It's a little bit difficult. Now, hold on, John, a little bit more. Uh, are you getting tired, by the way? A little bit, a little bit. We're stretching John out. And what you'll notice about John's picture is, what do we have? We have a man who is pierced, spread out, stretched thin, and tired. Sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? John, thank you so much for the illustration. Thank you. You can let go, guys. Thank you, Laura. It's important that we get and understand the picture. Let me ask you a question, because we live such comfortable lives. Can you blame us? 
with all the things that we're juggling, all the things that we're tethered and tied to, all the wounds and stuff that we're trying to manage, is it surprising that we're trying to live a little bit more comfortable? It's not condemnation to say that. It's not a bad thing to say, I'm just trying to hold my world together, so to speak. Is that evil? Does anybody resonate with that? The point of me showing you that was not to guilt you. There's no guilt involved in this. This is real. We are living real lives, trying to walk in Long Island, in Middle Island, here at City on a Hill. We're not in biblical times or days. We can relate to the problems that they have, but our, but our, but our mission field is a little bit different. And our attacker, our enemy is a little bit different because we have a lot of good things. We have a lot of have-tos and things that we, we've added to our lives that now we're a bit more spread thin. You know, and, and I'm trying to manage and deal with these as well. I'm trying to manage this very, very tight bubble. And it's not just us. We're trying to manage it with our relationships. We're trying to manage it with our children. Trying to get comfortable now makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah? The problem, though, is we tether ourselves to things. Um, a great story. Some, some of the stories that I love reading, and I don't know, I'm a little jacked up for this, but um, there's a story about, true story, six men, they are on a um, ski range. So they're at the ski range, whatever, and, you know, if, you're, if you've ever been skiing, you can go down the, you take the, the ride up, and you can go down and slide down. But off back in the distance isn't necessarily an, a mountain, but there's a mountain, all right? And it doesn't require them to necessarily, you know, put a cramp on. It's something that you'd wear as far as a harness. And you'd put this cramp on into the, into the stone to kind of anchor yourself in case you should fall. It wasn't that kind of thing. It was more like a steep incline that these men were going up. They were all armed with an ice pick. So in a, a case of somebody falling, when you're dealing with ice, to arrest, to stop the fall, you would fall flat, take your ice pick, and jam it into the ice as deep as you could. We have six men doing this. In between all six of these men was six feet of rope. They were all tied together. Wonderful. Sounds like a good plan. Everybody get your ice pick? Yes. Everybody tied up? Yes. Everybody's in the harness? Great. Let's go up the mountain. So here we go. One guy, two guy, three guy, four guy, five guy, six guy. A little slack in between. When something happens, what happens is the guy on top slips and he falls. It happens quick. The second guy didn't get down fast enough, and wasn't able to drop his ice pick in. So, let's just talk about the first guy. The first guy, we know, between guy A and guy B, there are six feet of rope. We know that guy A has now fallen. He dropped six feet. Now he's equal to guy B. But the rope isn't going to stop him because there's slack on the rope. So he has to fall another six feet until guy B gets his weight. Now, guy B wasn't ready. Guess what happens to guy B? Guy C sees this. He latches in. But guess what now? There's 12 feet above guy A that's now become 24 feet with a two-man momentum. You guys can do the math. Guy C's ice pick wasn't able to do the job. He gets ripped right out of the ice. D, E, and F all suffer the same fate. So now what do we have? We have six men with ropes tied around them, ice picks attached to their bodies, flailing in a death ball down the ski range. What happens then? Well, ropes are flailing and guys are tumbling. Anybody in the radius of this is getting taken out. All it takes is a little rope hook on the foot or around the neck, 
And they're in too. So they're taking out people down the ski range as well. And tumbling and tumbling and tumbling until they get to a point where they pass by almost the ski lodge and then drop into a little bit of a little cliff. To a ball of human, ice, ice picks, blood, broken bones, scratches, you name it. People died. What's my point? Before I make my point, let me make another one. Another great example. Husband and wife go out, they go rock climbing. The husband and wife have done this climb a thousand times. They see this giant boulder that normally they anchor to. Simply, you take the rope, you tie it around the boulder, fasten it well. It's a giant granite boulder. It's not going to break, chip, or you know, fracture, and you go down. The husband anchors in and starts to rappel down. The wife is standing on the ledge, and what she notices is the gigantic boulder starts to slide. Well, the boulder slides. The husband's there. And off into the abyss they go. Do you know the rest of the story? So now, what are you saying? I've tried to connect and tie on and with people, and I'm trying to connect to, you know, sure-found things, and you're telling me that both of those things aren't going to work. Yes, I am. Because the fact of the matter is, if, if anything, anything in this world that we are not tying into that is apart from Jesus will fall apart fail us and crumble. That's why religion fails us. That's why doing all the things that we think we should do fail us. That's why the only thing that allows us to move forward is the life of Jesus living and working inside of us. Do you understand? Does that make sense? Another person that I uh, just wanted to reference, uh, he's the inventor of the Mazer. Most of you don't know what that is and it doesn't matter. The Mazer invention would then lead to the invention of the laser, light amplification by simulated emission of radiation. I don't say that to tell you that I'm like somewhat smart. I say that because I just love saying it. As a child, I was infatuated with lasers. It made no sense, but the guy, his name is Charles Hardtowns. He's like a scientist, scientist, nuclear physicist, um, but deeply, deeply religious in the sense that he knows that there's a God that exists over everything. It doesn't matter how much intellectual facets, you know, you can go far enough and realize, whoa, there's a God. You can make as much money as you want, and you can still say, whoa, there's a God. Why? Because everything in this world, of everything in this world, nothing will satisfy what God has put, us, put, 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 put into us. We were made and designed to journey and experience pleasure and adventure. Amen? Are you guys with me still? All right. Okay. You guys in your groups? First thing I want you to read and turn to is we're going to go and start off with Luke chapter 9, verses 2 through 4. So I want you to, with your group, I want you to read it out loud. Read it out loud so you, the person next to you can hear it. If you're by yourself, I want you to read it out loud. I'm going to read my version just so that it's on the tape. But here we go. Let's just read. Everybody read. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. That's actually kind of cool. I like that. Okay, now I want you to go to Luke chapter 12, verse 22. A couple pages later. All right, we're going to do the same thing. Ready? Go ahead, just read to yourself. I want you to read out loud. 
Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. For how much more value you are than the birds. And which of you is worrying can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things, the nations, the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have, give alms, provide yourselves money bags, which should not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? Everybody get it? I think the reason why a lot of times we get stuck in this spot of past and present, trying to figure out what steps to take and what steps not to take, is because we are tied up, one, for comfort and trying to manage everything, but again, it's also us trying to manage everything. And we're really not good at that. We're not good at managing everything and bringing the Lord in. Because when he asks more of us, we think of it as an obligation. If coming to church is an obligation or becomes something that's a duty or a have to, then it's not coming to church. You know, coming to church is exactly what we said in the beginning. It's supposed to be an experience. It's supposed to be a place where we meet up with God. We hear something. We, we, we get manna for our soul. We touch him. Or we come expecting, trying, vying, canceling out things at the door in prayer, simply to ourselves or going to each other before church, before worship begins. Hey, it's good to see you. Can you just pray? I want to worship today. I need to worship today. It's an open, vulnerable honesty that allows us to come closer. But it's also collective. All right. The journey, this quest, this adventure, is one of self-discovery. You see, there, there are areas here that we can make all about us, which we, we do well. And then there's areas of here that if we understand in the larger sense, well, I don't know. I don't know what we would be if we understood the larger sense. I mean, that would be radical, wouldn't it? If we were able to vision cast down the journey and see the things that I'm doing are, are for the Lord, and, and we truly pray that that is our intention, well, then our entire setup becomes very different, right? You know, if I look at um, work, I go to work, and I might work with people I do not like, but I can't leave work. I can't leave my companions in work. Why? Because I need the money. Yes? Is that anybody's situation? Is anybody, yes or no? I, I, need a, I need a, there we go, we got a consensus. See, the journey that we're on 
pulls everybody around us into our journey. And a lot of times, because, it is, because of this, we don't actually get to choose who comes along. I'll give you a perfect example. We have the Thanksgiving outreach that we're going to do. Now, what happens if the people that show up for the Thanksgiving outreach can't get it together, don't like each other, are sniping at each other because somebody made better stuffing than the other? Or the turkey wasn't boar's head? Seriously, what would then happen? Well, the entire thing would fall apart. So what does that mean? You could look at it in the sense of, well, if I don't serve in my call, then maybe people at Thanksgiving may miss a meal. And I think that that would be a flawed way of looking at it. I think the way we look at it, this is how I look at it, if I'm not involved, or if I don't put my hands to work, then someone in my community, someone that the Lord is trying to speak to, may not get that gift. This is where I get emotional. May not get the gift that I had intended for them. Because you see, when somebody receives a meal, it is not the person. It is the meal and it is the thought that, wait a second, someone came from I don't even know where just to give me a meal. See, that, that's transcendent. That is something that tells us that the Lord is interested in his love more than our egos or our well-to-do list. That says something to the nature of God himself because you don't know me. How far did you drive? What day is today? You came all the way here for what? And you may never, most likely will never, get to hear those words. It wasn't about you. It's about your service, though, to the Lord. And in the sacrifice, in the sacrifice away from what we could be doing, all good things, in the sacrifice, I'm going to speak personally, in the sacrifice away from family or kids, Daddy, where are you going? Or to make some meals for some people that need them. They don't need to understand anymore. I've already laid down what matters most. And they will remember that. That's my prayer. It's nothing else for me to imprint or indoctrinate. It's in the doing. How did you spend your Thanksgiving? We had a great family meal. And in the morning, I did a program where we serviced some people in the community, just dropped off meals to them. It's not for your ego. It's to advertise that this world is not about us. Everything that we look at, everything that we read, you can go to the politics, you can go to the reality TV, you can go to every single thing, and it is individual, and it's just for you, and that's it, and it's about me, and that's it, and I was offended, and that's it, and now I'm going to walk away, and that's it. How many people have we seen and heard about leaving churches because they didn't like the doctrine? Well, what about the mission? What about the mission field? What about your connections to the people in that church? Your companions along the way are more than likely chosen for you. And maybe they're irritating you for a reason. Because God's doing some work. Maybe they're hugging you a different way that you're not so used to. I'm not saying it in a bad or foul sense. I'm saying in a sense that God is in the business of transforming us. Because if we're going to go down the road, we're going to need new strength. If we're going to go down the road and hear him, we're going to need new eyes. And what better way to polish a stone than by rubbing it against other stones? Right? 
A simple visual would be beach glass, broken, shattered. Step on it, you cut your foot. Except the beach glass. Why? Because it's been tumbling amongst the rocks, things that are harder than it. And when we see it, we collect it, like a little jewel. Six months before, it could have been a beer bottle, a wine bottle, a candle, or a votive. Now it's a little treasure we put on our, on our shelves. Why? Because it's gone through the process. And Jesus invites us all to that. Amen? Music team, you can come up. I'm going to come to the table now. The table is so awesome. This really is the pièce de résistance of everything that I've ever known and can ever imagine. I want to do something a little bit different today when we do get to this. And I'll say it again before we actually do it. Is when you do take the table, I want you to take your bread. You're going to dip it in the wine. Or for our intensive purposes, grape juice. And uh, I don't want you to eat it. I want you to come forward. I want everybody close. Don't go back to your seat. We're going to kind of huddle up around the table and we're going to take it together with a prayer today. Because the ministry... The example that Jesus laid before us, you guys can just start playing. Wasn't one of selfishness. Jesus wasn't out to start a religion. He was out to start a lifestyle. He was out to change how people saw the world. That there was a greater life to show them that there, after the doors, behind the trees, there's a path. And on that path, there's something, something very special waiting for you. Waiting for you. It's a journey. It's not planned. It's not laid out. Not in the sense that after step B, there will be step C after 500 more feet. There's no schedule on it like that. The path offers a promise. The promise is simple. As you continue to walk on it, there, after the doors, beyond the trees, you will go through a process of change. Now you live now. How you think now may very well change for the good of the Lord, for his glory. It's not going to be easy. He doesn't promise that. He promises that. You're going to have companions along the way that you're going to bump into. Some you may not like. Some may hug you the wrong way. But they've been given to you for a reason. You may be called away to a different journey or an adventure, but right now, this is your journey and your adventure. And these, these are your companions. They're not interchangeable by your will. You don't get say or control over it you do get is the promise of the journey and the path beyond the doors behind the trees see the thesis statement the, the line that runs through and this is the last thing that I really want you to hear I'm going to say something else anyway though is that basically Jesus 
designed us for adventure and a journey that's how we're made and when we embark on that journey as we read it gives him pleasure the verses that you read said do not worry about all these different things the lilies of the field, the birds of the air, if I provide for them, how much more would I provide for you, my beloved, who I stretch my arms out for, was pierced in every possible way, naked, exposed. I did this for you. How much more do I have? How much more would I give to you, who I love. So ushers, as we prepare the table, like I said, what I'd like us to do, take your elements and just kind of gather around. We're going to say a prayer. The worship team is going to bring us right back up. We're going to give this time back over to the Lord. Amen? So Lord Jesus, right now, as we, as we prepare we ask beyond words and presentations, beyond just glitz and glamour, Lord, we, we ask, Lord, that you would show up right now. We're giving this time to you, Lord, not as some routine, Lord, but as an act of faith that you are going to meet us here, Lord. You're going to meet us here at the table, Father. See, the truth about the table is that there was a greater tether that beyond death, pulled Jesus. He had to make a choice. It was an action on his end. But at the same time, the Lord was there. And he's calling us all into the same experience. So come on up. Come on up, ushers. We're just going to take the table. And then everybody like you just gather around and hold your element for a second. Music team, if you just want to play us a song while we're doing that. And then we'll jump back in. Body life that the Lord has invited to us together, rubbing elbows, and as it is individual for each one of you, for myself included, for each of us, it is corporate. And the Lord makes it very, very clear that when His body gathers, when His people gather, He says, Two or more, two or more, we got more, way more than two. He says, Two or more, you will see great and mighty things happen, you'll see miracles happen in your midst right now amongst us in our community amen Lord Jesus right now as we take the table corporately corporately as a church as the people of City on a Hill in Middle Island in the location that you put us we speak your power Lord we speak your transcending power beyond all the obligations beyond all the pulls beyond all the things that we have to no one's saying abandon life but we are saying you've been called into a greater life do not be afraid to go and seize that The Lord is speaking to each and every one of us. And the step out may just be that, a small step out. And the truth is we're moving too fast to hear. So right now, Lord Jesus, my prayer simply is that we slow down today. We slow down today enough to hear you. We give this time over to you. We give our bodies, our faculties to you, Lord Jesus. We don't want to come to church for the sake of coming to church. We don't want to just come to sing the songs for the sake of singing the songs, Lord. We want you. Amen? 
as a body right now, we are crying out, Lord Jesus, we want more of you. We want more of you in our lives. We want to be involved in an adventure. We don't want to live bored lives, Father. We're inviting you, Lord Jesus, to shake up our comfort zones. We want to go down that road, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.